0: Let's turn there. Let's turn to Romans chapter thirteen, Romans chapter thirteen, verse eleven. Now we have plunged through some difficult passages over the last few weeks with regard to revival, with regard to even salvation. Last week, this week I want to touch mostly church members tonight uh, or this morning. one of the struggles that you have when you are in leadership in the church in particular, I would love to tell you that I can just make people do things. What I've discovered is uh, church people are, are a lot like most people. Ridiculously stiff-necked about things. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to have convictions. It's good to be strong-willed. We need that because of the nature of the scriptures it gives us a, a place to be independent We're dependent upon God, but independent when it comes to living life. One of the things that happens to an independent people is a word that we call apathy. Apathy happens when conviction is lacking. Apathy occurs when the courage to stand falters. Apathy happens when we just are asleep at the wheel. Several years ago, I went on a vacation with my children and my wife. Uh, At that time, we only had the one. It was very early on. Uh, We had a little uh, car. It was a brand new car for us. We had never owned a newer car and uh, had cruise control on. It's the most amazing thing ever. And when you're driving in the middle of the night through Kansas, 70 West in particular, there's nothing. In fact, there's less than nothing. There's barely the, I mean, you can, it's two lanes of highway in both directions and there's nothing around. You look over to your right and you see a a grain silo, an oak tree, a little white farmhouse. And about a hundred miles later, you look over to your right and you see a grain silo, an oak tree and a little white farmhouse. And that's all there is. And the occasional tumbleweed that would come across the highway. Well, I had my cruise control set. It was about midnight 30 or so. And I'm breaking for the state line. That's where we're planning on stopping is at the state line. There's a a motel there that we're planning on staying at. And uh, we were about, oh, I would say 90 miles from there or so. Good hour, uh, hour and a half, something like that. And I had the cruise control set and I was just going down the road and all of a sudden I just remember putting my foot on the brake in the parking lot of this hotel now here's what I don't remember I don't remember the 90 months I'm pretty sure I was asleep for about those 90 months now, I couldn't tell you how we got there. I know the cruise control was on. And I know at some point I put my foot on the brakes to turn off and rode into the motel parking lot. And by I remember the last thing I remember was pulling up to the parking lot in the hotel. I was asleep at the week. Now, I could have killed my whole family. God was watching out for us. I'm convinced that my wife's angels were watching out because mine were asleep too. So, But this passage of scripture deals with That very same thing Not not falling asleep at the wheel of the car But really falling asleep at the wheel of life And I want to talk about that today So if you found your way to Romans chapter 13 I'm going to ask you to stand If you would in reverence and honor of the word of God Beginning in verse 11, these four verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 Here's what it says And that, knowing the time That now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and ending, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. and may not. Provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray earnestly for one for another and for our steadfastness in the faith. The struggle is real for us because if we awake out of slumber, we understand that we are obligated to fight. And at the same time, the rest is nice. We don't like the fight. But Lord, help us to engage in it fully. And to put away the things of the flesh that we might strive for the things of the spirit. Forgive us, watch over us and help us. These things we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning, I've entitled the uh, sermon and my forgiveness. Uh, I ask you for forgiveness, Eric. I didn't put that copy that over on It's on the printer. But I forgot to get into it to you. I've entitled this "Waking Up, Dealing with Apathy." Now, what do I mean by apathy? Apathy is that one thing that seems to overtake a church. Because we we are tired sometimes and we don't want to deal with the hardships that is called life. But Romans 13 doesn't give us a lot of options. Paul writing to the church at Rome reminds them after speaking to them extensively on how to respond to a government that is corrupt, how to respond to a government that is hard on Christians in particular. Which really doesn't make sense if you understand the pantheon of gods that, that Rome had at the time. Christianity shouldn't have been a big deal to them. What makes it a big deal is that God is going to hold us personally responsible for how we respond to his Christ. That's why they hated Christianity. Because it requires us to be a participator, not just someone who sits on the sidelines. So I want to talk to you about waking up and dealing with apathy. Apathy and lethargy are problems that often afflict the people of God. Many Christians simply go through the motions. Many churches exist, but with little zeal or progress. And such, such were problems in the early church too. The New Testament is replete with those happenings. Let's take just a couple of examples here. Turn with me to the church, uh, or to the book of Revelation, chapter two, beginning in verse one. This is the church at Ephesus. The very first service uh, that I preached here, I preached a sermon called uh, uh, Missing, uh, it's, it's called Loving the Church and Missing the Christ or something like that. I, I forget the name of it exactly, but it was on this passage of scripture. And I always preach it firstly in a church when I go to it for the first time because it really sets the tone and you can figure out the mood of the church by that sermon. Here's what that passage says. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who work, walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are, are, are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne uh, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Now, if I stop there in those first three verses, the Lord Jesus Christ is giving this church a lot of praise. They're doing some of the greatest works. They're out there. They're fighting back against the evil. They're doing the works that they should be doing. But there is, a, there is something that happens between verse 3 and verse 4, where here's where Jesus says, Nevertheless, now that's a that's a transition word. And that word basically is saying, I know these things that you've done, I know how you've labored, how you've had patience, I know all the things that you've done, but nevertheless, I have somewhat <coughs> against thee, he says. Here's what he says because thou hast left thy first love. Left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. And remove thy candlestick out of of his place. Except thou repent. Now here's here's what's happened. The church at Ephesus. Is doing the right things. They're, They're going through the motions. To do the right things. In the world where they live. The problem is. Is they've lost their first love. Their first love ought to be Jesus. And him. Crucified. They've forgotten that. They've forgotten that thing called grace. They've forgotten that thing called love. Wherewith they were first established. It's easy to get caught up. I believe Ephesus was a great church. But they had fallen into legalism. Because legalism is the state of affairs you find yourself in. When you're doing what the Bible says. But you you don't have any compassion behind it. You lose that. And I believe that's where the church at Ephesus was. They were in a place where they they were confined to the word of God in that they were not allowing the compassion of the love of Christ to shine through. They were letting the legalism of the word define them. And a church can fall into that in a hurry. And it's not that they are necessarily wrong. They should be following the dictates of scripture and finding out exactly what the word of God would have them to do. That ought to be their their one of their primary objectives. But they cannot let that drive them. It has to be the love of Christ that drives them. And that's where the early church fell. Apathy can set in in legalism. Here's what it says. We're going to say, because we we, we've been guilty of it to some degree. When I first came here, there was no structure in the church at all. Uh, We we struggled with uh, really how we were going to define and deal with things. So we set up a a constitution of bylaws and we we set up some parameters and we found in scripture some details that we could kind of build it around and, and hang meat on it, so to speak, and just firm it up. And we did that. And then I began to set in to teach from the book of Ephesians in particular about the love of Christ. If you have just the legalistic view where where it's only a bunch of rules and there is no compassion, no flex, if you will. That's what love is, by the way. Love is what and excuse the, the, the visual I'm about to give you. Love's what kind of. Uh, I guess you are like greases up the gears. It makes it work. Because if I just have rigid rules, everybody gets cut. But if I have love in there, it flexes just enough to give us a little bit of room. Does that make sense? Our struggle as a church with apathy is found there. We, we, we know what the Bible says about how we're supposed to respond and what we're supposed to do. We, we've got all the uh, I's dotted and the T's crossed. But sometimes we forget the compassion side of things. And, and that's just one side of this where apathy can creep in. Let's go to another place where apathy creeps in a different way. Let's go to the church of Laodicea. This is in uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. So just turn the page. Some of you, it's on the same page. It says, And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that whether thou art cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knoweth not that thou art wretched, poor, wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. Now that's a weird contrast to the church that we just saw. That church we just saw was was very much on fire for the things of the word of God in, in the church of Ephesus. But the church of the Laodiceans were a little different. They didn't really bother themselves with the doctrines of God. Their, their thing was, we're okay. We're just motoring on along. They're, they're lost in the same things, but in a different way. They, they said, well, we're rich. We're taken care of. There's really not any problems. And so... Apathy set in on that side of things. Apathy sets in there in, in a way that we're okay. And because we're okay, we really don't need to rock the boat. They didn't do any introspection. You see, in legalism, you do a lot of introspection. And you come out a nervous wreck. That's what you do in legalism. But on this side of things, where these guys are, there's no introspection. And they just know that they're okay. And because they didn't do the introspection, they don't see themselves as poor and miserable and wretched. They didn't look to their, to their, to their, what their behavior was and see that it was awful. They didn't see it. My fear is, is that much of the churches fall into this category. Why? Well, because we're, we're, we're Okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We've, we've kind of got this—we've we, kind of got this laissez-faire uh, uh, mentality that says that we've—we've—we've we've, we've done the whole thing of salvation. We're fine. We—we we don't really have any problems. We're not hurting for money. We're doing okay. Everything's okay. And they have no introspection. And he says that you're—you're you're poor and you're miserable. You're wretched, blind and naked. You don't even know it. It's like the emperor, right? They had no clothes. Everybody around them telling them, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay together. Hmm. And what we found out was really we were naked. But we don't see it. And see, churches fall into apathy that way. They don't care about things around them because they think they're okay and they don't need to. Why do we have to? Deal with the, the world around us. When we see the world is okay. Well because we don't look into the scripture. And see ourselves the way we truly are. Now the other church. The, the church at Ephesus. They saw it. And they were trying to correct it. By means of legalism. And they left their first love. This case. The church of Laodicea. Found their first love. It was just themselves. <clears throat> And both have fallen into apathy. Even Paul in the the book of Romans, where we find ourselves, he compels to ask them to awake out of sleep. And we're talking about the early church. We're talking first and second century churches here. These guys were on the front lines. They were the, they were the, there was only one church in Rome. Now we have a hard time imagining that today. Because we think of churches, we think of a lot like we, we have today, uh, different church houses and different places where churches are, and we, we don't think of it in terms the same way they did. Their local church was only one church in the town. It was the church. You say, well, were they Baptists? Well, they were Bible churches. They were literally following the words of Christ and the words of, of the disciples, there wasn't a lot of denominations back then. There was only the one church. What's interesting is when you read the book of Romans and you find this place, apathy had already set in and we're not even talking out of the first century yet. Now, come forward 2000 years, we're still dealing with apathy. It happens in the same way it's always happened. And we see it and Paul says to awake. B.W. Johnson says to awake from carelessness and indifference. Poole says to shake off slothfulness, security, and all form of sinful forces. To awake from stupid and fatal indifference to eternal things, says James of Brown. Really, that's where we are. Apathy. Plato once said this about politics. He said, the penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. What does that mean? Well, here's what happens. When we don't pay attention to the things around us, we are apt to be governed by those who are worse than us because we let them in. And it's no different in the church house. Here's what happens in, in the church house a lot of times. You will get people who are interested in putting forth their own agendas and making sure that those agendas are what, what happens in the church. And people, because of their apathy, allow them to come on and do that. Hence, you get churches that are divided. Hence, you get churches that are following after the dictates of men rather than the dictates of Scripture. You get churches like the Laodiceans. I've been in churches, myself, I've, I've pastored churches where the pastor really wasn't the leader of the church. It was formed by some committee of deacons or one or two men in the church who kind of run roughshod over everything else. I'll never forget the day when one, one church member called me to his house. It was pouring rain that day. We went out back to his woodshed. He pulled out two chairs, sat me down and he said, I want you to know I was here when you got here or before you got here, I'll be here when you are gone. You need to quit changing things in the church. And he told me, basically, how the cow eat the cabbage. And I was the cabbage. Okay? But I didn't tell him that makes him the cow. (laughs) And I left that little church, my first church, and and I left there, and uh, sure enough, he was still there. I heard he just recently passed away. Uh, But that little church was never intended to grow In fact, the day I left that church, I went to do mission work in Louisiana. I know sooner 12 hours, I kid you not, 12 hours after the time I left, I got a phone call from a couple of the men in the church and he said, you just won't believe what's happening here today. And they they had come back and they had, everything that we had changed in the church in the past two and a half years had immediately gone back. Except for the rail. We had a rail around the front, Like right here. They wouldn't let the preacher out. They wouldn't let him go. That's the only thing they didn't replace. We had moved things around in the church. And and added parking outside. For more visitors and everything. Took it all away. Made made changed everything back the way it was. Because there was somebody who had an agenda. We. We'll find ourselves in an apathetic place as a church. If we aren't paying attention to what the spirit of God is doing. I want to read to you that passage again. We just we just read from Romans chapter 13 again. Listen to what it says. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. See, the spirit of God is about working in the lives of his people. And it's high time that we as the believers in Jesus Christ here at Cornerstone awake out of our slumber. We've got a mindset that we either we're okay or that doctrine's the best thing. And and I'm going to tell you that it's not wrong that we should follow doctrine. I've preached it since I came here. But if we allow doctrine to dictate, we'll lose the love of Christ. And if we go the other way and just say, well, everything's fine. And we're not paying attention to doctrine. We fall into apathy on that side of it, too. There's a story out about a, a lady named Rosina Hernandez. She attended a concert, a rock concert, when she was young. And she, when she got there, there was a man who was brutally beaten by another man in the crowd. And no one stepped in. No one stepped in on behalf of the man who was being beaten. He died the next day as a result of the beating. Years later, Rosina saw another catastrophe happen. A car driving driving in the rain ahead of her suddenly skidded and plunged into Biscayne Bay. She saw the car go nosedive right off into the water. And out of the side, she saw the woman who was driving the car uh, come out. And the lady was screaming for help that her husband was trapped in the car and couldn't get out. Well, this time she wasn't going to be just a bystander. She wasn't going to just let something happen and her not do anything. She had made up her mind she was going to be actively a part. So she dove off into the water and she was down there. She couldn't get the door open. She was screaming for help to those who were looking up up at her, down at her from the bridge. Screaming at them, cursing at them, anything to get their attention. She was pounding on the back window, trying to break it out and couldn't. Finally, one man jumped in and then another man and then another man. And, and at the last second, they pulled the man out to safety. She had made up her mind she wasn't going to be inactive, but active. She was going to be a part to help the situation. My question is this to us is, are we going to be like that? I want to give you two things. Today, two, two, two questions. First question, why we need to wake up? Okay, And the second question is easy. Is how ought we to walk after we do? And Paul addresses both of those in this passage. Let's take a look at the first one. Why do we need to wake up? Well, first thing is we need to know the time. Knowing the nature of time. Time is short. Time is fleeting. It moves fast. Just the other day I woke up and uh, I, I suddenly realized that all my kids had grown up. My youngest is now old enough to vote, old enough to be called into the military service. I, I had no idea he was that old. My daughter is 21 years old, an adult in every sense of the word. My oldest son has a child. Suddenly I'm gray headed, balding. I don't even understand times is moving so fast. It needs to slow up a little bit. And apathy takes it away from us. It removes time. It's been said that the nice thing about apathy is you don't have to exert yourself to show you're sincere about it. You can be absolutely sincere about your apathy and never move a muscle. Time's short, though. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says this. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then, and walk circumspectly. I love that word, and I'll explain a little bit more about that word in a moment. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You want to know how. How time works with apathy? It's found right here in this verse. It says, Arise or awake, now that is and arise from the dead. Christ shall give thee light. Our biggest problem is we've discovered that sleep is comfortable. We've discovered that doing nothing is easy. We've discovered that when we don't take part, nothing happens. It's the greatest part about apathy. The status quo is maintained. Status quo is maintained. Nothing will ever change unless we do something. It's not complicated. It's just hard. We like not doing something. We're inherently lazy. You want to know how I know? This morning is a great example. I'm my own worst enemy sometimes. This morning the alarm went off at 5 o'clock. Sunday morning, yesterday we moved Joel's family. I was tired. We'd stayed up late and went to my folks to watch the basketball game or, or the Kim's folks to watch the basketball game and played spades. We got home about 11 o'clock and, or 10.30 and I, I decided I was going to have a, a, a midnight snack. It turned into dinner. And uh, when I got to bed about 12 o'clock last night, 5 o'clock didn't seem near as important to me. And so what I do, I reached over and I turned that alarm button off. That's the most apathetic action I had. What should I have done? I should have got up. I should have prayed. I should have drank a bottle of water, gone out for a walk, did my exercise, do all that. I should have done some things. But apathy set in. I'll get up in a little bit and drink some coffee, is all I said. And that's what I did. Time is short, and we don't realize it. Second time, is pleading. By the way, that word circumspectly in there, it means literally to walk around and inspect it. Watch as you go around. It it literally means to watch where where you're walking. It literally means that, that if you were to walk around a hole that you saw there to inspect it, you would do that. That's how circum, that means to walk around and inspect it. That's how we are to be in life. We're to walk around inspecting the things that are around us all the time. That's what Paul says we ought to do. And the Holy Spirit he says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. You know what fools do? Fools fall in holes. Fools are not wise by their very nature of being foolish. They don't watch where they're going. They don't inspect it. They don't make sure that they've got a proper footing. They just walk on out there and fall in. Can I tell you that that's not the Christian life? The Christian life is a circumspect event. It is the thing that we watch, we check it out, we know about it, and we walk wisely in it. Salvation by Christ through, through faith is, is, a, is something that we have to check every day. Not that he isn't once for all saved; he does. But how do we, how are we using it? Time is short. What ought you to be about as a believer in Jesus Christ? You ought to be about telling others what you know about Jesus before time ends. Say, well, wait a minute. Time hasn't ended yet. It's been 2,000 years. Yeah, but see, we've only got 70, 80 years here. I spent the first 20 blowing it off, I spent the next 20 trying to prepare for it. And now spend the rest of it telling everybody. We ought to know that time is short. Second is pleading. James chapter four, verse 13 says, Go to now that you that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such city and continue their year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while or a little time. And then vanisheth away. For what ye, that ye ought to say, but if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your blessings, in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him in sin. Now here's what that's talking about We make plans of our own. And we make plans to go and say we're going to do such and such. But you know what? We don't know that we're going to be able to do such and such. Now we've planned for it. That's okay. That's part of that. But hang on. Why don't we consult the Lord? See what the Lord's will is and do that. If the Lord calls you to be a part of the Lord's New Testament church somewhere. And actively wants you there. And you know he does. Because you joined the church. And, and here we don't make it real simple to join. Other than oh, you've got to be voted in by the membership. And you've got to go to the membership class. So you know what we believe and teach. And you got to have a salvation testimony. With baptism on the right side of that salvation. That's all it takes to join a church here. But here's. If you know that this is what the Lord's will is for you. Why do you do anything else? Things to the contrary of See what do you mean? Well, how do you live your life? You see, used to be people who joined a, a local New Testament church joined one that they were going to be in in the area because it takes a physical presence to be there. Now, I realize we have cars and we have freeways and we have all those things, and that's right. And we can we can still travel, I know plenty of people. We've got people here who travel 45 minutes to an hour to come to church here. They're dedicated here. I got some people who live right down the road who can't and won't be a part of this church. Because it's an inconvenience to. There are people who do it all day. There are, I don't know, five, 8,000 homes right over here. And there's maybe half a dozen churches right in this area. And and some of them are believers, and they may already be committed to other churches and things like that. Some of them are, and we've tried to reach a few of them. And apathy has set in for some of them. We got a church right down the street. Ah, no, they're too simple down there. They believe the Bible and expect us to believe it with them. (laughs) Apathy set in and. Time is fleeting. Oh. We don't have the time anymore. It's, it's growing. My, as my wife likes to remind me. Gloriously dark. Our society around us. Is calling evil good. And good evil. That's straight out of Isaiah. I can't make that up. Isaiah chapter 5. You can go read it later. They're calling good evil and evil good. Good. And, and everything is upside down from what we, what's really supposed to be happening. And why? Well, because the days are evil, time is fleeting. And, and the, the passage from James, here's, what, here's, what, here's what's going on in that whole passage. There's a notion that we can make these plans outside the Lord and the Lord's gonna be okay with them. That's just not true. Say, well, he, he's obviously blessed, and I, I can go and do it. You know what? I used to have a dog on a chain. And you know where he liked to stand? Out of all the places he could on that little roundabout chain, he liked to stand on top of the doghouse. But you know what I also noticed? He would fall over the back side of that doghouse and hang himself often. I'd find him back there on his tippy toes, hanging by the by the collar. Just because you have enough chain to hang yourself, doesn't mean God approves of it. What does God's word say? Well, God's word says we, we should forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. You can read that on one of the banners around here running around. We like church here. Church is a people, not a place. Amen. We congregate together because church means congregation. That's what we do. That's who we are. We should do things to help that congregation, not hinder it. Time is fleeting. Now, not only do we need to know the nature of time, we also need to know what time it is. Okay, The nature of time is fleeting and that it's short, right? Short and fleeting. Those are the two things we know about the nature of time. But what is time? Well, time is now. We can't, op- we can't operate in any other space. We can't go back and operate in the time past. We can't go forward in the time future, despite what the Sci-Fi Channel says. Now is the time. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth, doeth the will of my Father. That's present tense. See, it's, it's about doing. It's about right now. What has the Lord called you to do now? You say, well, I, I believe he's called me to do this, but I can't do it yet. I've got to take care of my family. I do this. Can I tell you? If I would have waited to do the things of the Lord's will until my family was gone, it would be just now I would be start preaching. And I would have waited 20 years too long. The Lord called me to do work for him back way back when. Probably called me sooner than that, but I was too consumed with self and I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't realize what time it was. I didn't realize how little time I'd have, how short it was. I didn't realize how fast it went out from me. Now's the time. Say, what do I do? Preacher, I say, well, get involved. Find something that the Lord is involved with and get to it. Some of the men came to me the other day or back a few weeks ago and said we want to do something. We we think the Lord's calling us to start a Bible study in our in our apartment group, that's Eric and Mike. I said, Well what are you waiting on? Get after it. If the Lord's calling you to do it, guess what? Get started. No time like the present. By the way, the rest of that passage I just read, many will say to me in that day, verse 22, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, you that work iniquity. Why the rest of it? Because you need to understand, there's a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. I'll give you a great example. In the the cultural world we live in, there are a lot of what we call parachurch organizations out there. They work alongside churches. But what's happened over the years is we've allowed them to to come out from under the authority of the church and it becomes like church. So people will say, well, I'm involved in such and such ministry. Well, wait a second. Does that ministry involve a local church? Is it under that church's authority and is it going out from that church? Well, no, but they're doing a good work. Great. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good work out there. A lot of people doing a lot of good things out there. Why don't we start ministries within the church and have them spread out and go and do? Plenty of churches that are doing that. Here's what happens. If I join a parent church organization, I'm not committed at the level I am in the church. You know how I know? Well, think about it for a second here. One day we will, if the Lord cherishes, my plan is to have a school here. Whether it's K through 12 or it's college level courses, whatever my, my goal is to have a school here. Well, at some point, we have to have people who are here doing the work to get that started, to get that out of here. But you can go out here and join other organizations that are already doing it, that are funded by people who aren't even believers at all. And they're doing that work. But is it right in the sight of the Lord? Well, it, is He blessing it? Well, maybe. Is, is it is it a blessing from God or is it just money from people? Because see, we, we think the two are synonymous. We think the two are together. I've seen in, in times past in history books where churches started something, didn't have a dime to start anything, started it and God provided the money because it was done correctly, done the right way. You see, the only institution that God has on earth for the furtherance of his kingdom is the church. And when we talk about furthering the kingdom, we don't look to outside organizations. We look inside. Somebody asked me one time why we don't have uh, uh, big bank sales and car washes and all these things to fund all these little things we do around here. Because it's not the world's job to fund me. I don't start a GoFundMe page. We do it. It's internal. Now, sometimes we help out with things that go on, like our, our thing going on in December, where we're fighting back against human trafficking. We help out. That's all we're doing. We're, all we're doing is pull the money for them to give it to them. But when it comes to funding the church, I don't go outside the church and beg them, beg the world for money to fund the church. Church is a people, not a place. We take care of it. You say, well, preacher, we're not rich. No, we're not. This suit, I got this suit from Tommy. The fact that I can wear a suit just makes me happy. But here's the thing we're not wealthy here, but someday the Lord may bless us with wealth. And we better be ready to scale up when He is. Because there was a time when this church, when I first knew about this church and it first started here, they had college here. That's what that whole wing on that back of the building was for, was for the college. And they had plans to to make it bigger. It was Northwest Arkansas Bible College here. Had plans for it. I looked to see that again because Brother Lair was the mentor to me. He started that. But he didn't have a dime either. He he eventually had a couple people who became wealthy and and kind of helped out and pushed forward towards it. Here's the thing. Apathy, though, will set us back. Poor people can be apathetic as well as rich people. Uh, no amen on that one, I see. That's okay. I'll say it again. Poor people can be apathetic just as well as rich people. The reason why they can be is because it doesn't require you to do anything. Say, preacher, we don't have money for that. I know. Why don't you pray and ask the Lord to bless it? You pray and see if the Lord will ask you to help out getting started. Something like that. Everybody says, well, preacher, you know, we, we brought you on so you would start those things. I can start anything you want. Here's the thing. If none of you will help me, it'll die. I'm not a one-man show. Apathy sets in right where Paul says it does. We need to go away out of our slumber. Verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of, of darkness. i got to get my glasses because the print's getting small all of a sudden. And let us put on the armor of light. Now there it is. It means that we're going to have to get, get busy and do something. We're to do one thing first. Cast off darkness. Cast off the works of the flesh. And then. Put on the armor of light. We've been asleep too long. It's like waking up in the morning. I have on the side of my dresser. I've got a tall chest of drawers. I've got the two little hooks. One set is my britches that so I wear for the day. The other set is my, my workout clothes. I get up and I take off my night clothes. And I put on my day clothes to do something. You have to take off the night clothes cuz you want if you don't you're not going to get anything accomplished. I my look, everybody loves to lay around in their sweatpants. Now I'm about to about to step on your toes. But tell me what happens when you get dressed for the day and make your way out of the house to do work. There's something that happens. Work gets accomplished. And it's high time we awoke, changed out of our night clothes and put on our clothes that we need today hey my granddaughter just disconnected my microphone yes we're still awake yep and so here it is for us here it is the point at contention the point where we need to wake up and now do something That groggy feeling you have in the morning, shake it off and put on, wash your face and get cleaned up and get out and do something. Apathy sets in otherwise. It's kind of like when, uh, and I hate to use it, but here it is, coronavirus. what they tell us to do? Stay home. Stay home. Why? Well, because we don't want you out in the public and, and getting coronavirus. Okay, if you feel like you need to stay home, then you should do that because you may be susceptible to viruses or whatnot. But those of us who aren't, we need to work. We need to get back out there. And this is a great opportunity for us. Apathy sets in when we're sitting still. Church, we need to wake up. We need to know the nature of the time. Secondly, we need to know what time it is. Luke chapter 8 verse 19 says, Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. He answered and said to them, My mother and brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. It's present time. Now for some, it moves differently. Some of us have been saved a while and we need to get back to work. Others haven't been saved at all and they need to get saved first. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in an accepted time and in the day of salvation I have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Some of you are wondering what God's going to do with you. But here's the thing. You haven't allowed God to do what he's going to do with you yet. I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. Some of you have been sitting on your by and by waiting and saying, what's God going to do with me? First thing he needs to do with you is save your soul. That's where you need to start. And if you've not been saved by the grace of God, you need to get saved. Why? Because God says he wants you saved. God says, I've seen to it that you can be saved. All you have to do is accept the free offer of salvation from it. What Christ's work on the cross has done for you to save your soul. Can I tell you that lost people can be just as apathetic as saved people? Not going to do it, and you're not going to make me. You're exactly right. I'll never make you be saved. God doesn't even make you be saved. He just does the work for you if you let. It. You have to let him. Takes a broken and contrite man to see his sins and be willing to let the Lord do something for him. Salvation's nearer than we know. The Bible says that the Lord's return is near. Amen. Our own death is nearer, And it's even closer than we first believed it. And we don't even see it. And then the last thing I'm going to talk to you about right here. And we'll probably do this in a two-parter, it looks like. I'm only going to get through one question. Why do we need to take the time? The last thing is this. The night is far spent. It's getting late Some of you even now are saying I'm hungry and uh, why can't this preacher be quiet? Because I got to tell you about the night being far spent. That's what the word says. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore. What does it say? Cast off the works of darkness. We won't. Some of us. Second Corinthians 4, 5 and 6. How many times have I preached this it says for we preach not ourselves, but Christ, the Jesus, the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus sake, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have to preach it. How many people pass by churches like this on a Sunday morning? They don't even care. They're out there, your neighbors, my neighbors, your cousins, my cousins, everybody's family and friends are out there. They don't go to church anywhere. They don't claim Christ anywhere in their lives. And we're standing by and the night is far spent. Why are we not about the father's business? Apathy. Literally, that means by the way, far spent is to cut off. Time is cut off. It's becoming short. It hastens to a close. The end of time is coming. And for some, it'll be coming even quicker. We see the end of time for us as a church at the rapture, where the Lord is coming back for his church. But everybody else in the world sees the end of time as as their death. And they're right in one respect. It's the end of that time when they can accept Christ. Once you pass from death into the the next world, that ceases. But life doesn't cease just because you die. Life goes on. Now, where you spend eternity is determined on this side of that. The night is far spent for some of us. We've sat around and we've heard preaching all of our lives. There are better preachers than me out there who probably preach better sermons than this. About salvation and about the need for it. Can I tell you? They've watered because you heard them preach it. And I'm telling you now that the night is far spent. We're, it's going to come to a close. And the time when God's offer of salvation may be shut off from you. I earnestly believe that while you still draw breath, there's still an opportunity. But at the same time, when's the last time you're going to hear? About salvation and never do a thing. It's up to you. The night is far spent. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. And I'll close this. It says let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God. Upon the children of disobedience. And the warning is this. Be not therefore partakers with them. Are you not partakers with them? You're not required to be. God desires you to be a part of his work. He's doing. It's high time we come out of apathy. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let's stand. Here it is, church. Visitors. God is desiring to do a work. But our apathy can kill it. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we can shut the door and be like the church at Ephesus and lose our first love. We continue on the things of doctrine, that'll still stand. But we'll never get it, we'll never get where God wants us to go if that's how we're going to behave ourselves. Or we could be like the Laodiceans and think everything's okay, so we really don't need to do the We'll be like either one. And apathy will set in. And the things of God will grow dark until he's ready for the next generation to take it. Are we going to be that generation, though, that says we're not going to be a part of what God's doing? We're going to let somebody else do it? Shame on us. Shame on us. And then for others who are not believers, who look into this and go, See, this whole church thing, this whole Christianity thing, it's just too hard. It is. I'll be straight up with you. Hardest thing i ever did in my life. Easiest thing to come to Christ, hardest thing there is, is to stay there. Because we don't want to. We get comfortable. We get complacent. It's easy to listen to a preacher and ignore him. We're obnoxious, some of us. It's okay. But if you desire to come to Christ... Don't let obnoxious preaching do it. Stop in front you from it. Fall down in your face and beg God to save you before it's eternally too late. I promise you will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Word you've given us. Help us, Lord, in our apathy, apathy towards salvation, where we just don't want to hear it. Because we don't want to believe that we're sinners in need of a Savior because we're arrogant and prideful. We just want to be left alone. In fact, we'll even tell you we don't believe in you just so we don't have to hear you. Show them, Lord. That's my prayer. Lord, as the church, we pray for coming awake, coming out of our apathy. Not allowing the day to go any further without us telling someone us being a part of your plan and your will and way for us. Help us, O God. We pray these things in Jesus' name.